Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. It is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. I am Brandon Scott here with Adam Spolane, Austin Mendez, handling everything behind the scenes. And we are recording this, Adam, coming off of an unexpected Rockets win. And they were about to face Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday. And they beat the Detroit Pistons on Saturday uh, in their most recent game. They've had a few a few days off here. But in their most recent game, they beat the Detroit Pistons in an unexpected win without their top three players. And I just want to start off with that. Like, did that, did that surprise you, given how they've played? Obviously, Kevin Porter Jr., I believe that was the ninth game, maybe that he's missed in a row. But with no Jalen Green, Alpern Shingoon, a late scratch uh, with a non-COVID illness. And and I saw that he apparently was back at practice uh, on Monday. But without those guys, did it surprise you, given how they played with those guys, that they were able to pull off what they did on Saturday against the Pistons? Yeah, I mean, they're the worst team in the league, and they don't have their three best players. So you would think that it would be tough to win a game. And they started off the game so poorly, where just in the blink of an eye, they're down 16 to four and John Lucas, who's filling in for, for Steven Silas. Um, he's benching, he's benching a starter. He's benching KJ Martin pretty quickly, uh, but give them credit. They, they bounced back and they played hard and it, it shows you a lot of just when you play hard, good things are generally going to happen. And we just haven't seen that consistent sort of effort out of this group. And you saw it on Saturday. And even if you're down your three best players, you can still win a game just by playing hard, just by playing hard, just by playing the game the right way. They only gave up four fast break points. I mean, that's absurd with as bad as they've been in transition. And Jonathan Fagan said it really well uh, earlier today. Um, he said, basically, the Pistons did all the stuff that the Rockets normally do, where they play terrible transition defense. Uh, they just they do stupid things. They don't necessarily play the game the right way. So it was good to see. Um, it, it was just, we talk so much about tanking and oh, you want to lose these games, but just seeing the way that the team reacted to winning the game and making big plays down the stretch. That's why winning games really matters because you just, you need that sort of competitiveness and you need to see that out of your players. And they did that on Saturday. So good win for them. Good win for those guys. Uh, and you just want to see if they can like put games together and play with that sort of effort every single night. Yeah, I, that, that was really the thing that stood out to me was how, you know, that initial lineup that they put out there with Jabari Smith at the five, and we'll get to him in a little bit uh, a little bit later, but that initial lineup that they put out there was bad, man. They got down to 16-4 deficit, I believe it was, and or it was, it was something to that effect. It was pretty bad early on in the game, and it looked like it was going to kind of be that same old story. And mind you, this is, of course, as you know, coming off that dreadful performance uh, the game before right uh so yeah i mean you're, you're coming off of the, this dreadful performance against uh against washington and or against cleveland and you know you start off the game like that and then adam they put in the next unit you know the the jay sean tates and uh you know and the garubas and and, and the, you know they put in some of these other guys these hustle guys and of course tari eason who we talked about a lot in the last podcast had another amazing game and you just saw the effort like go up. And one of the things I know you wrote about, and this was noteworthy in the game was the sort of, I don't know if confrontation is the right way to, to frame it, but of course 
KJ Martin and John Lucas, who was coaching for Steven Silas, who was away for a memorial for his father. Uh, they got into it early in the game and he benched him and he pouted. Uh, KJ Martin did for a little bit on the bench, but to his credit, and you talk about effort, I mean, KJ is the ultimate effort guy. And I'm not sure. I mean, well, I mean, he, I would say he's the ultimate athletic and IQ guy. Maybe sometimes I don't know if if there's a question of effort with like the team as a whole, but KJ Martin, to his credit, came back and responded and was very key in that game, um, in that win. And I thought uh, guys like him and and, and Tari Eason and of course Jay Sean Tate really really led the charge in that. And, and I don't know, it was something to be said for me, Adam, to have these guys out there and seeing the the effort look like that without the top three um there was even a point i think in the second quarter by the second quarter where like 11 guys if everybody but boban had played and everybody had scored you know and so it, it just made me wonder it's like well why can't that same like why does it have to be addition by subtraction you know it, it, it seemed like a conundrum you know like why can't that same sort of effort be there when the key guys are there as well yeah, I wish I could answer that question. Uh, it's one of those it's one of those things that I think has been probably most frustrating about this season for them is that just on a night in night out basis, that effort just isn't there. And uh, I, I would I, I'm sure that they would love to be able to explain that. So it's uh, it's been one of the, the dumbfounding aspects of, of the first whatever, 50 some odd games of the season. Jabari Smith had that block that I don't know if I would say went viral, but amongst Rockets Twitter, maybe, and Rockets, you know, Reddit and message boards, you know, that block where he goes up there, I don't know, he, he doesn't just get up, but, like, stretch Armstrong type stuff. I don't know, it was like, uh, this was in the third quarter, um, and he pins this, uh, you know, pins this, you know, this this layup right up, the, right up on the backboard, and it just had me thinking, like, okay, this this is what the vision was right here. This is exactly what they're, you know, what the, a guy who can just guard pretty much any position and then like, you know, you can see him on the perimeter and then all of a sudden also he's a rim protector and in a very like unique and special kind of way. What did you make of, you know, obviously without Mershon Goon being out that thrust Jabari Smith into the five row, what did you think of that? First of all, I'll just say it was cool. One of the little side notes and tidbits was, Watching him and uh, Duran, Duran, uh, the two of the youngest players, uh, Jabari Smith and Duran, the the Pistons rookie, go up against each other. I think Duran is actually the youngest player in the NBA, and Jabari Smith is not that much older than him. Uh, but what did you make of seeing Jabari at the five? And is that do you think that there's something to that uh, going forward? I, I do think ultimately that might be the way to go. Now he has to get better at it. Just and, and part of that is just. He's got to get bigger and he's got to get stronger and he's got to be able to handle defending bigs. And that's just not really there for him right now, just because he, he's just, he's, he's skinny. You know? yeah. So he's got, so once, he, once he's able to add some weight and I asked him about this today and I asked him, do you have like a target weight? And he said he didn't, but I mean, the big thing is just making sure that he's able to you know maintain the athleticism and, and just some of the other things that make him a real special talent. But when you look at how teams defend right now, and we've talked about the Alperin Shingun defensive stuff, you know, all you know, a lot lately. But I feel like for them moving forward, having Jabari Smith or even Tari Eason, you've seen you've seen them do this with Tari Eason now, just in the last week, having them guard the opposing team center that allows you to hide Alperin Shingun on a wing. 
And so what they did against Minnesota last week was they were and Jabari Smith didn't play this game. So it was Tari Eason playing at the four and they started Eason on Rudy Gobert. And then they put Shingun on Kyle Anderson. And I do think that this is something And I'll ask Steven Silas about this uh, in the next couple of days. He went to practice today, but I do wonder if this is what they feel like they can do moving forward, because I do think one of the, the areas, and I know with Shingun, the numbers aren't quite as bad as some people may think, but the problem is that they can really only defend pick and rolls one way with Shingun, and that's to play drop coverage. And the one of the issues with that is it's really easy to prepare for. So if you're an opposing team and you're running an action, I know exactly how the Rockets are going to defend that action when Shingun is in. Now, if all of a sudden we put Shingun on a wing, now maybe we can't run that same action. And if it's Jabari Smith, let's say it's a pick and roll with D'Angelo Russell and Rudy Gobert. If it's Shingun guarding Gobert, I know exactly what the Rockets are going to do in that spot. It's very easy. It's an easy play for us. But let's say it's Eason or it's Jabari Smith. Now, all of a sudden, the Rockets have a few more options. And maybe they can switch that pick and roll. Maybe they can, maybe they can blitz it. You know, so it gives you a few more options. I think it makes it a little tougher to prepare for. And now let's say if, if you do want to try and take advantage of Shingun along the perimeter and you want to get Kyle Anderson in a pick and roll with Russell, well, then the Rockets can just trap that. And if they want to give the ball to Kyle Anderson, just let him cook, you know, let him have, let him have the ball and make him make a decision. So I feel like if you can, if, if Jabari Smith gets to the point to where you are comfortable with him defending bigs and whether it's post-ups or whether he can handle just the physical aspect of it and he can box out his man, then I think that might be the way to go to cover up some of Alperin Shingun's deficiencies defensively. Yeah. I almost just wish they'd just do it anyway. Like we just, as he develops, like we saw him defend Giannis earlier in the season mm-hmm. and look, he's skinny. We, yeah, you, we've, you and I have stood close to him. He's a skinny guy. We can see it on TV. He's young, but I mean, he, he's going to grow into it eventually, and he's got the skills to do it. And Alperin Shingun, like for all the reasons that you just laid out and described, that to me the the better option is, you know, is just kind of giving maybe having Jabari doing a little bit of that tough love there. And I know you might suffer for it, but I mean, you're not gonna you're not winning games anyway, you know, for the most part. And I think it's uh, I, th- I think it's just more important to his development. And I get it. Like if he just flat out can't do it, then it's kind of it's not tenable. But I would just I would just try it, you know, uh, or just be more open to to trying it because that's uh, I mean that's his most valuable. I think you know most valuable asset as a prospect, you know, as a guy that you were drafting, you know, and, and, and here you are in a situation where one of your more valuable offensive players is a liability defensively so if you can make up for that in any way uh with this guy i think that's the i don't know it it, to me it seems like the obvious way to go yeah and Duran is a really tough test for smith just because he's he's as physical as it gets yeah he's the he's the opposite he's the opposite of jabari in terms of physically physical development at that age right yeah and that was one of the things too that kind of sold me a little bit on chet holmgren uh, coming into the draft because Holmgren went against him in, in the NCAA tournament. And I know Holmgren fouled out of that game, but he actually held with Duran pretty well physically. He fouled out because the officiating in that game was just brutal, but it, it was a good test. And um, they've got Oklahoma City uh, coming up. I, I think that that might not be that that's probably a decent team to try this out against just because Oklahoma City really doesn't have the center that's all that imposing. 
So maybe you can do it that way. Uh, but it, it is something that I do think that they they need to dabble in just a little bit. I mean, you don't have to do this exclusively, uh, but just give it a shot. And I do think that they believe that Eason physically can handle defending bigs because you saw him do it uh, against uh, against Minnesota, where it was Eason who was defending Gobert. Now, you can't do this against everybody. You're not going to put Jabari Smith on, on Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid later this month. But it is just another option because we saw this uh, Silas's first year. They were... They 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 ran a lot of different defenses, and they would do it within a quarter. They they would run a lot of different stuff, and they'd have a lot of variety with their defense. And they can't really do that right now. They're they're very bland on that end of the floor. So I I think it would be interesting just to see moving forward some of the different things that they can do um, with Shingun trying to you know hiding Shingun on a wing, and then giving Jabari Smith that assignment on the big, and just see how teams react to it. Hey, before we move on, since you mentioned Taurus, and I know we talked a lot about him in the last episode, but how good has he been in this stretch? I mean, the other night, like, and he's going to have some moments as a rookie. You know, he, he it seems like there's always a moment every game also where it's like, oh, Tari did this. But he always, like, more than makes up for it with his effort. And I don't know, maybe I'm overhyping it in my mind because it was an effort win. It was an effort game. And that's what Tari Eason is an effort player, but like this stretch of, of from him has been to me really encouraging for the Rockets. You know, he, he's disruptive, but he, like you said, he makes some bad. I mean, he got John Lucas technical foul. He, well, but that was good. That was good because they still like immediately, like immediately after, I don't know if it, if you could just say because of the technical foul, that's I mean, you're not the to find. Yeah, I mean, true. Fair, Luke, fair enough. Head coach, buddy. He can't be afford. He can't afford to get all these technicals. Man, John Lucas has had a job for however many years in the NBA. Man, life is good. But no, I'm not. I'm not. Certainly, though. Leave it to me to not be in John Lucas's pockets. I can tell you that I'm not going to be in that man's pockets or trying to get him fines. But, but yeah, man, I, I I've just been really impressed with Taurus and and maybe again. Because that was an effort win, that was a you know bust your ass type of win, and that's what Tar Eason does. And he did you know have a you know a decent game, a really good game there. Uh, it it kind of just heightened it for me uh, because you didn't have you know the obviously you didn't have Jalen out there and you didn't have Alper Shingoon out there, and it was just kind of this hodgepodge of guys that were just getting after it. Yeah, he he fits with basically everyone on the floor too. And- yeah. You know, in all honesty, he reminds me a lot of KJ Martin. He's not, he obviously, he doesn't, he's not the athlete that KJ Martin is, but they're both just disruptive and they both, you know, make plays just based on effort. So uh, he, he fits in well. And, and like I said, you can, you can put him with any five guy or with, with, you know, any five man lineup you can put up, you can have Tari Eason out there and it'll be a successful lineup. All right. Speaking of lineups, man, I felt like the, the Cavs loss from Thursday and you you mentioned this I think in gallery sports but like Kevin Porter Jr has been out for however many games now and you know they they were without in that game I think Eric Gordon and Jay Sean Tate missed that game right yes and then they came back on Saturday the, like the the Cavs game was so hard to watch it was like I mean it was just bad from the very beginning and I don't think it's a coincidence that they didn't have any point guards or anything analogous to a point guard, which would be, say, uh, Jay Sean, uh, Jay Sean Tater, even Eric Gordon. 
Um, and again, obviously, Kevin Porter hasn't been around. Um, and then there's the question even of Kevin Porter Jr. as point guard, right? Like the, the point guard conundrum was, to me, has never been more pronounced, I think, than in that particular game. And I know, you know, the 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 win against the Pistons wasn't necessarily like, oh, here comes, you know, like the because of like point guard play necessarily. It's more of like hustle and effort and, you know, and guys just busting their ass like we mentioned. But like how much did that game has this stretch uh, shown like with the Rockets having this point guard problem, this obvious point guard problem that the Rockets have shown how much point guard play matters? Well, it's, it's just a guy who gets you into your offense and who know who can get you organized and know what a defense is trying to do and get the ball to the right person. And a lot of that is just experience. And you look at the point guards that they have on the roster. You're talking about Kevin Porter Jr., who, you know, he he's the old guy out of the – he's the experienced guy, and he's basically been a point guard for, what, two years at this point? That's not a whole lot of, you know, memory. That's not – you're not going by a, a whole lot there. You have Dacian Nix, who – uh, is probably one of maybe their most natural point guard, I guess you could say, but he hasn't been effective for most of the season. Ty Ty Washington is is obviously learning how to play the position. Uh, and then you have Eric Gordon, who's not a natural at that job, but he at least has been in the league and seen basically every type of defense that you can play so he can get you organized. And then you have uh, Jay Sean Tate, who has played just about everything, but he played some point guard at Ohio State. But it's just somebody who gets you organized. You can get the ball up the floor. Uh, he can get you a shot when you need it, and it's a very it's an underrated aspect of the job. I remember they they played a game um, last year, and Dennis Schroeder had to start, and you just saw the difference with Schroeder on the floor, just with him getting everybody involved, him understanding, all right, this guy needs the ball here, this guy has this matchup, we can get him the ball in that spot. It, it, it's little things like that that get you into your offense and help you win games, and also the ability to just not turn the ball over. I mean, turning the ball over just puts your defense at such a disadvantage, and you also don't get a shot on the offensive end. So the point they've kind of neglected that spot. At least, I mean, they're 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 going to do everything they can to get Kevin Porter Jr. and they they want him to be that guy moving forward. But the problem I think that they have made, or the 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 decision that I don't think has really worked out is just the second point guard because they don't have one on the roster. I think they wanted it to be Knicks. That hasn't worked out. I don't think it's going to work out, to be honest with you at this point. We've seen more than a half a season, but moving forward, they need to find another guy who can at least play that position, get you into your offense, especially when Kevin Porter Jr. isn't on the floor. And asking Eric Gordon to be a point guard for 30 minutes a night during this stretch, it's not real conducive to him being successful either. So it, it, it's it, it's an area that they have neglected over the last year. And I do think that as we get into the trade deadline, I'm not saying that they should be buyers. They shouldn't be buyers, of course. But if they can find a way to get another point guard on the roster just to help you get through these last 30-something games, I do think that would be important. I wanted them to re-sign Dennis Schroeder, Adam. I, I wanted them to bring him back last year, and I had Rockets fans, and even I, th I felt like even a couple of media people telling me that, hey, man, that doesn't make sense that he get in the way of the development. Every time I have the I, like, I, I have the nerve to think that there should be a veteran on this team that should be playing, it's like, hey, that guy's going to get in, in the way of the development of so-and-so. And, and, like, I, I just don't get that. Like, should, should they have re-signed Dennis Schroeder or, so, or something like him? Like, it, it seems, like, pretty obvious now. Like, you you had a guy like that who not only could have been your backup point guard, but arguably could have been your starting point guard um, if you weren't so damn committed to the Kevin Porter Jr. as point guard thing. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I think they wanted to give Nixon an opportunity. 
And he was a guy who had been in their system and they really, yeah. I mean, they're, they're yeah. telling, they're, they're telling people that they thought that he would have been a lottery pick. And, yeah. that's and he, he and he played well in the G league. I, I, I'm not going to do revisionist history here. I was a, I was a Nick Stan in the beginning, uh, in the very beginning. So, and, and there are people who will tell you that he's awesome in practice. I mean, I, I heard it just in the summer, just how excited they were about Knicks and how some people thought that he might take over the starting point guard position. I mean, that's how much, that's how highly they thought of him. And it just hasn't been able to translate into game. So I don't necessarily think that Schroeder would have been the guy to bring in in that spot just because Schroeder was going to want to play. And if he's behind Porter and he's behind Knicks, that's not a great opportunity for him. But once you kind of realize that the Knicks thing isn't going to work, then maybe that's when you have to start looking outside the organization just to get somebody in, just to get somebody who can who can absorb some of those minutes. And you've seen it where Knicks is basically completely out of the rotation. I know he he started the game on Saturday, but that was more out of necessity than anything else. So I, I, they got however many games left, 30-something. Um, I'm really interested to see uh, what type of uh, – a if, if they give Dacian Knicks one more look, one more opportunity to try it and lock down something, because again, he shows out well in practice and that's not the games, but that's one opportunity for him. And, and remember his contract is not guaranteed past this season. So um, it's, this might be a do or die thing, but, but like you said, you know, there there's this thinking that the only way you can develop players is to have them play in the games. So that's a nice way to do it. That's that's, that is a way to develop players, but you develop players in practice too. I mean, you work on a lot of stuff in the gym and that's also a way for you to be able to develop players. So I don't think it would have hurt them to bring in another point guard. I definitely don't think it would hurt them to bring one in now, but it is something that they have, again, it's a position that they have neglected because well, I, so I do think that they've wanted, they, they found these two guys, they found Porter. They got him for nothing from Cleveland. He was, he was a wing with the Cavs. So they wanted to turn him into a point guard. Then you have Knicks, a guy that, again, they got for nothing. He went on draft you're trying to turn him into something. So I do think that they were, that they saw these two guys that were undervalued by the rest of the league. And they thought they could turn them into something. Porter's Porter's been good for them. Porter was a good pickup. We'll see about Knicks, but again, it, it's an area that they just haven't had an adult in that position basically since Schroeder left. Yeah, I'm trying to decide, Adam, and just think this through, like what makes more sense for them to to pursue? Like, does it make more sense? Like the priorities are what the long term development and the future and all of that. But what's like what's more conducive to that? Like just letting Dacia Knicks, even though it seems like you've got enough of a sample size already to kind of feel like, you know, that that's not really the answer. So given that does it make more sense to try to bring somebody in or at this point you know does it does it not really hurt you to not be great there you know and to just continue out the next thing and the you know the upside of that is you know or the you know the, the best case scenario with that is you figure it out or something something does happen there like should they be targeting a uh, or, or is this something to be thinking about for free agency, you know, like a Fred Van Vliet or, uh, you know, Corey Joseph type of guy? Like, I don't know, like what how how soon should they pursue this? Like wh when should they punt on what they're doing now at point guard? Well, I mean, there's a guy with a beard who plays point guard out in Philly, who I think that they will probably try to make a run out this summer. But you yes, can you, the you drama. Can, you can bring in someone, though, right now. And still not give up on Dacian Nix. I mean, he's, he still has that roster spot and he can still continue to get work in practice. And then he's with you in the summer and then he's with you in training camp. And then that's maybe when you can make a decision. Um, 
they have, you know, I do think one of the things that they have, and again, I, I talk about how they kind of have neglected the point guard position. They have the two two-way spots and they have both been used on Trevor Hudgens and on Darius days. And those guys have been on two ways the entire season. They have gotten nothing out of those two guys on the NBA roster. They have not contributed at all in NBA games. And to me, I think that's been a little bit of a waste. And so they, they might like Hudgens. They might like days, but go sign a point guard to a two-way. Just get somebody on a two-way who can come up and contribute on the NBA roster for the rest of the season and just give your guys an opportunity to try and run a functional offense because it's so hard to run an offense in this league when you don't have a point guard. And if you want Porter to be the guy, okay, let him be the guy, but at least bring somebody off the bench who can do that job for you also. I got to say, man, I'd much rather see that guy with the beard out there running point guard. I'm not going to lie. Not going to lie for somebody who was um, just like disgusted. I don't know. I guess that's the right word for, for how things ended there with with Harden or just I mean, I, I thought it was just all in poor taste. All of it turned off by all of it. I got to admit, man, I wouldn't mind seeing the guy with the beard running the point guard. And maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just because I know how good he is. And maybe that's in part because I've seen how bad it's been over here uh but uh gotta say I'm, uh, I'm i'm not i'm not opposed to them uh to them dabbling in that is if if for no other reason man the the, the drama and the conversation around it would be i don't know it seems like it'd be fun to cover like this spectacle of james harden coming back to houston so yeah i mean i have a feeling the the topic will come up again between now and uh and july 1st no doubt no doubt all right Let's move on to Jalen Green, man. I know he uh, missed this last game on Saturdays. Honestly, man, I was thinking about this. Jalen Green durability, you know, for a slight guy. Uh, no, no questions about so far about Jalen Green's durability, man. It's only really missed, you know, after the after the hammy early on in his rookie year. He's played every game except the suspension game, which. Shouldn't have even happened, damn it, if the assistant coaches do their jobs and make sure that nobody leaves the bench. And then this game, this first game. So that's uh, so, you know, for all of the knock on Jalen Green and inconsistencies and effort, I give him credit for at least being available for the most part. Uh, doesn't uh, doesn't seem to get injured a lot. Uh, but. You noted and I noted it as well, like the whenever this guy plays against any of his draft mates, the, anybody from his draft class, it's, you know, it's a talking point. It's a conversation piece. It's worth watching. And, you know, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, how his role and Evan Mobley's role in Cleveland are totally different. Evan Mobley is allowed to kind of just be a part of the system. They got a lot of good players around him and he's not forced to be their best player whereas Jalen Green is the exact opposite. But Evan Mobley had the better game uh, in, in the Cleveland game. And then coming up here, you know, it's funny watching some of the conversation about, like, Jalen Green versus Josh Giddy. Like, I, did, I, never thought, <laughs> I never thought that that would actually, you know, ever become a discussion of, of any kind. But it's because Josh Giddy's played really well and because Jalen Green has been inconsistent that even allows that to be something that people talk about. But – 
what do you think about this opportunity for Jalen? Do you think do you think he'll first of all, do you think he's gonna be back? Um, or did y'all get a sense for that when y'all were at practice on Monday? And what do you think about this little stretch here of Jalen Green kind of having this opportunity? We would have had it too against Kay Cunningham, but both of them were injured. Neither one of them were able to play. Uh, what have you thought of this opportunity for him to kind of go up against his peers? Uh, well, so he did not practice today. Lucas said that they are hopeful that he'll be able to play. So we'll see. They're going to practice again tomorrow. So we'll have a better idea then. I'll be, I don't care. <laughs> this is one of those things that it's more immediate thing than anything else, but I, I don't really care how these guys look against one another when they're 20 years old in their second year in the league. I, I hope if I'm Jalen green, the last thing I want him doing is comparing himself to the guys that he was drafted with at this point. I, I don't want him looking at box scores to see how Josh Giddy is doing or how Franz Wagner is doing or how Evan Mobley is. Doing. I don't, I don't want that because that's taking his focus off of just simply getting better. So the only thing that matters for Jalen green and all these other guys is getting better. It's not about the guys who are drafted before them. It's not about the guys who are drafted after them. It's just about getting better and worrying about your own game. And that's the big part of the whole draft thing too, is that if you're the Rockets, in all honesty, you don't care if you draft second and you get the best player in the draft. That's not what you're worried about. Once you draft the guy, all you care about is if he turns into a great player. So if ultimately, um, Evan Mobley turns out to be a better basketball player than Jalen Green. Who cares just as long as Jalen Green turns out to be a great basketball player? The Rockets passed up on Michael Jordan, number one, in 1983, but I think they're okay with who they drafted. I mean, that still worked out well for them because they also, while they didn't get Michael Jordan, they wound up with one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So I just, I don't get, uh, if I'm them, I'm, if I'm him, I'm just not worried about the whole, you know, who he's facing right now. Yeah, so here's why, and I would agree with you on the point about Jalen Green and his internal focus. Like, I hope he doesn't internalize any of this and just kind of focuses on what he's supposed to be doing in his own game and his own development. But the the reason why it matters to me is not even necessarily about the individual players themselves, but or I guess what's more noteworthy to me about all of it is really watching what's around them and what the organizations around them are doing and how they're setting up their players and how they're developing their players. And that's what stands out to me about it, Adam. Like Jalen Green, like to me, it, I can't help but wonder, like it, it's hard to be like, well, what if Jalen Green played for the Cavaliers? That doesn't really make any sense. Or like, what if he played for the Oklahoma City Thunder? That doesn't exactly make sense. But the idea is what if this organization was doing it felt like this organization was doing what those organizations were doing in terms of just player development and, and coaching and and surrounding your players with you know the best opportunities to succeed i don't know it just to, to and and so maybe that's more of the point it's more of an organizational comparison of hey here's how this team is developing its young stars and its young core and versus like even even against Detroit, Adam, like Dwayne Casey, somebody that is well respected around the league. And what is it in his fifth year now in Detroit? Um, I, I think. Right. Like to, like to me, it's just you look around and you're like, man, why? Why does it seem like this kid's just out there at some point? And, and I'm, we're critical on the guy. It's not like it's not like he doesn't share any of the blame for some of the inconsistencies obviously and the effort issues but it's like man i you know i, I really wish that 
you know, this guy had the infrastructure around him that his peers do when and especially whenever you see them close up and, and it, you know, you're kind of able to do that comparison from afar, even, even if you're hoping that the player himself is not internalizing it that way. Yeah, no, it's, it is important to see just kind of structure that you have as an organization. And I remember Jerry Krause, the, the old GM of the bulls who put together those, th- those two, three P teams, he said something that he got some heat for And he said that organizations win championships. And it was almost like he was like taking the credit for those six championships. It's not really what he was doing. What he was saying is basically the entire organization wins you championships the players are obviously a huge part of it but what you have around the players and the support stuff that you have around the players that stuff matters too and i i think the one thing that you've seen oklahoma city seems to have it down i mean that that team has exceeded a lot of expectations now it, it's beneficial that they also started this rebuild process with an all-star and you know getting shea gilgis alexander in that trade for Paul George turned out to be absolutely huge. And that really set them up. Whereas a team like the Rockets, they're starting from complete scratch, a team like the Pistons, they're for the most part starting from complete scratch. So that's where it gets hard. And that's where you need, that's where, that's where it helps to have other good players on the floor who can help you win games so that you're not getting blown out by 20 and the games don't matter after halftime. You want these guys to be in a competitive environment a lot. And I I thought that's what was good about Saturday is that you saw how competitive those guys were. You know, you didn't have all your best guys. You didn't have all your key guys, but they were competitive and they wanted to go out and win. And that's how they make the plays. That's how you get better as a team is when you're in those moments, when you're competitive and when you're trying to win and you're in crunch time and you're just trying to figure out and you're trying to eke out wins. I think that's how you develop too. It's not just about skill development. It's about learning how to win. That's part of development also. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I just can't get over how it, it, it was some of the most fun I've had watching them play all year. Some of it, you know, they've had, they've obviously had better games than that, but some of the most fun I've had watching them play all year and they were missing the key characters, man. Like I just, for whatever reason about it, I can't get over that. I'm like, man, this, this, this doesn't seem like it should be right, but it's exactly, uh, it is, it's exactly what happened. All right, man, let's get out on this. Cause this report was out there that the Rockets might be interested in John Collins, who the, you know, Atlanta Hawks apparently have been uh, looking to trade or shopping around for a trade. Uh, Does this make sense? Should they do this? Help me understand. Uh, Other than the fact that John Collins is a good basketball player, you know, I was able to, I was able to rationalize it in that way, just like basic logic of, well, you know, they could use more good basketball players and John Collins is a good basketball player. So maybe that's why it makes sense. But everything else to me doesn't seem like it lines up with, you know, with exactly the way they're building this team. Does, am I missing something on the John Collins pursuit or potential pursuit? He's a good player. He's versatile. He can do a lot of different things on the court. Um, the contract, it's it's it looks big, but all NBA contracts look big and the way the salary cap is going to go up year after year after year, it doesn't make it look that bad. And he might be a distressed asset. It's one of those things where maybe you can, you know, get, get John Collins for 75 cents on the dollar. That makes it worth it to me. It's not necessarily a move that I would make because he plays a position that so many of your other guys already play. 
Right. So if you bring in John Collins, now you're probably taking away minutes from Shingun, or you're taking away minutes from Smith, or you're taking away minutes from Eason or or Tate or some of these other guys. So I, I don't see a trade necessarily happening. Uh, it it seems. I mean, it seems like he's. They've been trying to trade him for years and years and years, and, and something hasn't gotten done. Uh, but if if you can get him and not have to give up that much for him, then go ahead and do it because. You have this cap space. There's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get somebody to take your cap space. So you might as well trade for a guy if, if that option is there. But if it's me, I'm not making a move like that until the summer and you see how things fall with free agency. Yeah. So, yeah. And also you want to wait and see how things fall with the draft too. I mean, you might, I mean, what if they wind up getting the number one pick and now you're getting Victor Wembanyama, and now you have this big glut of guys who all play the same position and, or play, you know, in that kind of position area and you just don't have the minutes for everybody. So if it were me, I would wait on a move like that. If they're going to add a guy at the deadline, it needs to be a guard. That's yeah. the, that's that's the spot that they really need to focus on. Just go out and get a guard. Yeah, a guard. I I wouldn't mind a shooter, but uh, but a guard is like to me one, two, and three. Like it's so by by far ahead of anything else that they need. Um, shooter uh, like a you know a good three and D or you know but like an actual they don't have any shooting, so like an actual shooter would be like far down second on my list. And then, of course, obviously, John Collins is neither. He's a very, very good basketball player and a versatile basketball player who can do a lot of things, but wouldn't fall along either one of those lines to me, uh, at least not for um, at least not for where this team is at and what their actual needs are. And again, you mentioned it. The positional redundancy is part of it that doesn't make much sense to me, even though there's the argument there that he's probably better than most players that you have. And so, like, him displacing somebody isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world if he's better than the next guy. So that's cool. But then also the the first thing that you mentioned about, like, wanting to wait and see what you're going to do with that money in, in, you know, in the summer in free agency. Like, to me, I don't know. To me, I – I, th- I thought it was interesting that you said too, though. Like, man, who's the who's to say for sure that you're going to be able to spend that money? And mm-hmm. maybe he's the the smart way to do. It. I I don't think I had thought of it that way, but I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm just looking at it the other way of hey, like that's this is going to bringing in John Collins makes free agency less eventful for you. Um, and, and maybe uh, you know, there's a part of me that's not accepting that free agency is kind of is dying. It's not the same as it used to be. You know, uh, where it doesn't doesn't necessarily look the same as it as it, as it used to. So, uh, but I don't know. It makes more sense to me to uh, you know not do the positional redundancy, wait for the draft, and also wait for free agency to see like who's on the market and what your what your needs are. Um, you know, at that point, you know, in the summer, you know, after after you've drafted and everything. Yeah, and there's other teams that will be in the market for John Collins. So, do you want to? put yourself into maybe some sort of a bidding war for a guy that you maybe don't need at this point and could limit some of your options moving forward. So I, I understand why they would want to go in that direction. I don't think if it were me in charge, I would not, but if you can get him for 75 cents on the dollar and there's nobody else out there, then, you know, give it a shot because there's no guarantee that you'll be able to get a player as good as John Collins in free agency. And I don't think that it would take away enough of your flexibility to where you couldn't add somebody else. If there were maybe a guard out there who has a beard and plays in Philly right now, if, if you wanted to go in that direction. Spicy, real spicy. And I am 
actually looking forward to it. I'm here for I'm here for a hot mess, man. And I think it could be I think it could be beautiful basketball. And I think it could also be a hot mess. And I like both. I'm a, I'm a fan of basketball and hot messes. So bring it on. Bring it to me. Inject it in my veins. Uh, let's do this again later on in the week, man. They're going to play the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday. And then they'll play the Toronto Raptors on Friday. So we can chit-chat in between then and see what's going on with the team. That's Adam Spillane. I am Brandon Scott. We appreciate Austin Mendez for producing this bad boy. This has been the H-Town Hoops podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, tell your people about it. And until next time, y'all be good.